Welcome to the Bluff First Podcast. We pray that this message would encourage and enrich your life. For more information, please visit us on the web at blufffirst.com. Again, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. Um, What a great day. Can't wait to hear from our kiddos. And then at the end of the service, they have a gift for you. And it's kind of a tradition we've had for like over 50 years. And so um, it's going to be fun. Christmas is the time of giving after all, isn't it? Um, I want to figure out who's in the room this morning. I think there are two types of people. Some of you are my people and some of you are not my people. You can probably guess which one. Where are the people who have already purchased all of the gifts? Uh, where are you guys at? You've already finished. Your, yeah, be proud. Put it up there. Yeah, okay. All right. I see my mother-in-law's hand went up. I'm not, I know. She's like, I already bought one thing. So I'm just teasing. Um, Okay, so you guys are not my people. Where's my people that are like, oh, it's coming. I should probably start shopping soon. Can I still get prime shipping? Uh, That's that's awesome. Those are my people. Um, Well, I will will never forget Brooke and I's first Christmas as a married couple. Um, Just to tell you a little bit about marriage, just how things work. She wanted a dog. Um, I did not want a dog. Do you see where this is going? This is marriage, right? She won. That's what marriage is. And so our first Christmas, I surprised her with a little dog. And you're like, who's that guy with Brooke? That's me 12, 13 years ago. Look a little different. Um, But this would be the last, and I I picked the more flattering photo. There's one of her crying that's pretty awesome. But um, this will be the last Christmas photo that I'm able to show you from our first couple of years of marriage because if you thought the dog wasn't bad enough, the gifts went downhill from there, okay? So she, she gets a dog, she asks for a dog, she gets the dog, and some of you think like maybe she's gonna want another dog or God forbid, a cat or something like that. That's not where this is going, but she begins to request gifts. The dog is fine, I get her the dog, she posts a picture of the dog, everybody's oh sweet, it's a dog, and that was our dog. The next couple of gifts she asked for put me in a difficult predicament because I'm a gift giver and I love to give my wife whatever she wants, but these are not the gifts that you want her to post on Facebook. The following Christmas, she asked for a very nice vacuum cleaner, a a Dyson. And you know, it's a nice gift, it's expensive, it's practical, we have a dog, but there are few things in the world less romantic than a vacuum cleaner. What did your husband get you for Christmas? A vacuum cleaner. It's a trap, is what it is. But I got her the vacuum cleaner and hoped that she didn't tell anyone. And I got her some more stuff just maybe so she has something else to talk about. He got me a necklace, you know, or whatever. And so I'm like, okay, we got that out of the way. It's a Dyson. It's expensive. It's nice. It should last a long time. You'll never guess what she wanted next, guys. I'm telling you. Let this be a cautionary tale for you young husbands in the room. The following Christmas, she asked for a treadmill. A treadmill. What did, what did TJ get you for Christmas? A treadmill. <laughs> it's the gift that keeps on giving me a bad reputation, right? That's, and so she got a treadmill and some other stuff and hopes that she wouldn't tell anybody I got her a treadmill. Of course, um, not the dog, but the vacuum and the treadmill after number of years of use, they wind up, you know, in yard sales or re-gifted 
or in a dumpster like most gifts do if enough time passes. Um, they were two of the most awkward gifts I've ever had to give. She wanted it. She was happy. I just didn't want anyone to know I gave her a treadmill and a vacuum. And as awkward um, as I felt giving those gifts, maybe some of you can relate to this, I am even more awkward when I receive a gift of any kind. Are there any awkward gift getters in the room this morning? Like, you know when somebody tells you a secret and then they say, act like you're surprised, right? And then that moment comes and you just, that's a terrible performance, right? No Oscars given for your performance. It is obvious you knew. That's how I act when I am surprised, okay? Like when I don't know it's coming, you give me a gift and I'm like, oh, wow, thank you. I don't know what to do with my face. I don't know what to do with my hands. I don't know what to do at all. Bad gift receiver. Um, this morning, I think as we talk about Christmas and we talk about the greatest gift ever given, the gift of God's own son, some of us are bad at receiving that gift. We are awkward at receiving that gift, and this morning, um, I'm just gonna share with you a very simple gospel message, and hopefully, if we can push past the awkwardness um, of receiving that gift, maybe perhaps some of us could leave with it. And, and I wanna help you this morning understand that um, the gift of Christmas is not irrelevant or impractical to any of us. Some of you were here last week for Blue Christmas, and we talked about all of the problems and all of the struggles that so many of us face in this holiday season, and we talked about how it is appropriate for us to mourn with those who mourn, and yet also rejoice with those who rejoice. So last week was heavy, this week is maybe a little bit lighter and more fun. Both of those things are okay. But when things are heavy, it's easy to think, oh yeah, Christmas, Jesus came, so what? What does that have to do with my mortgage? What does that have to do with my marriage? What does that have to do with my health? Or whatever it may be that we're facing. And I just want you to know Christmas, the coming of Christ, the gift of salvation, is the most practical gift you could ever be given because it's useful for everything. It changes everything. And whether you're here and you're skeptical and you're outside of faith looking in, or you've been saved 40, 50, 60 years, what you need most on this Sunday is the gospel of grace, the gift of Jesus Christ. Grace not only changes our eternal situation and trajectory, it changes our here and now, it liberates us from certain struggles or it equips us for them, and it's just useful for everything in life. And yet, how many know if we understand the story of God and the scriptures that the gift of Christmas, the good news of Christmas, would not maybe have felt so great if it hadn't been for the bad news, if it hadn't been for the struggle and the waiting. If you're not familiar um, with the Bible at all, before Christ came to the earth as a child, God would speak to his people in a variety of ways, but most often and most notably through some of his chosen people, prophets, okay? And so God spoke to the nation of Israel through Moses, and he'd speak to, to God's people even in captivity through Daniel or through whoever, and so he's always speaking through someone and telling the people of God what he's up to and giving them promises and giving them rebukes at times. He speaks through prophets. But then at the end of the Old Testament, before we begin to hear about the birth of Christ, there's a gap between the last words a prophet spoke and the birth of Jesus, and that gap is four centuries long, 400 years of silence, it's called. 
And during that time, things are not peachy for the people of God. There is great oppression, captivity. They're overruled. There's pain. There's doubt. Can you imagine 400 years? They're they're counting on what their great, great, great grandparents said about one day the Messiah will come. They're counting on the scriptures that they have, but man, it sure seems like he's never coming. And and maybe we can relate to that this morning because some of us, our whole lives, we've heard Jesus is coming back, Jesus is coming back, Jesus is coming back, and we begin to think, is he though? (laughs) My grandma was saying that, and I haven't seen him. Um, Similarly, I, I bet they had begun to lose hope, but one day he does, he does arrive, the promised Messiah, Jesus, not born in the palace, not coming to earth as a grown man, born as a baby, born in a cave with some animals, crazy, and it changed all of human history, I mean, it changed everything, your birthday, your anniversary, the date of today on the calendar, those numbers, those times are associated with his birth, his coming. And so um, isn't it amazing this morning that on what we celebrate as Jesus' birthday, and we know Jesus probably wasn't born on December 25th, but we we celebrate Christmas as Jesus' birthday. Isn't it just like our generous Jesus that on his birthday, at his party, there's gifts under the tree, but instead of them being for him, they're for us. The gifts of Christmas are for you and I. Even though, you know, at at his initial birth, people brought him gifts. The wise men showed up with gifts for him. Eventually, this Christmas, 2021, the gifts are for you. And, And here's the thing. As we get accustomed or we warm up to the idea of receiving this gift, I want you to know that whether you're saved or not, born again or not, baptized or not, in church or not, you believe, you don't believe, you're atheist, wherever you are on the spectrum, I would contend to you that you have already been receiving lots of God's gifts your whole life. See, we've already received lots of gifts. There's, there's another gift I want you to receive, but even if you never do, we've already received lots of God's gifts. James chapter one, Jesus had a brother named James that didn't even believe he was the son of God until he saw him in the resurrected state. It's hard to believe your brother is God, right? I mean, I can relate to that, I understand. But when he saw Jesus, wow, James took on a whole different type of uh, faith and confidence. And he writes in James chapter one, every good and perfect gift. How many of them? All of them, every. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father who created all the lights in the heavens. And then he talks about how steady he is. He's always the same. He never makes dark shadows by changing. He's not shifting and moving. And he's, he's steady and stable. And every gift comes from him. If every good gift comes from God, how many know we've already received plenty of them? We've already received plenty of gifts. Here's the problem. We thought they were from someone else. Or we thought even they were from us. Maybe every once in a while we go, man, thank you, God, for your grace. Or maybe every once in a while we consider ourselves fortunate or lucky. But a lot of the things that we have, especially in this part of the world, a lot of the things we have, we feel that we earned, we accomplished, we deserve, we worked for. 
If we were to look at the tag on most of the gifts in our life, it would look something like this. To me, from me, right? I bought the house, I bought the car, I earned the promotion, I deserve to live in that neighborhood. I, I, I. To me, from me. There's a band um, called Thrice. They wrote a song called Beggars. And it kind of sounds like Job's words, honestly. But they talk about how all of us are beggars and everything is grace. And some of the lyrics, listen, listen to this. It says, can you, can you safeguard your breath in the night while you sleep? In other words, can, can you keep your lungs moving? Are you able to do that? Can you keep your heart beating steady and sure? Does the earth seek your counsel on how fast to spin? Did you devise how your frame would be formed? Like, did you plan out what your body would look like if you'd be raised in a palace or live in the streets? Did you choose the place or the hour you'd be born? The answer to all those, of course, is no. Says, and then they go on to say, tell me, what can you claim? Not a thing, not your name. You didn't even pick your own name. Tell me if you can recall just one thing in this life that's not a gift. Can you see that everything is grace after all? And that if there's one thing I know in this life, we are beggars all. See, you and I did not choose the language that we would speak. We didn't choose the color of our skin, the width of our shoulders. We didn't choose whether we'd have a lot or a little hair on our head. We didn't choose anything about ourselves. We didn't get to decide whether or not both arms and both legs would work. We didn't pick our parents, our town, our timeline. Maybe we work with our hands or our back or our mind, but all of those things even were gifts to us. We're all recipients this morning. You have to recognize that. Recognize yourself as the one in need. Jesus got questioned for hanging out with sinners, and he said, you know, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, it's the sick. But here's the reality, there are none that are healthy. All are sick, all are in need. It's the ones who recognize it that are able to receive from Jesus and the ones that think they don't need him who never find what they need. This is a problem because you and I as Americans are in the top 5% of the world's wealth. We have a lot and we're hardworking and we're, you know, we're proud to be American. How many of us chose to be born in America again? How many of us had any say in that? Uh, we are lucky. <laughs> we are blessed. We are recipients. Are there people who do less with more? Of course. Are there people who don't meet their potential while you work hard and meet yours? Sure. But what you have is a gift. And part of the struggle of the church in America is the thing that we need to believe the gospel is nothing. That's what we need. We need to come with nothing. And we can't even comprehend nothing. We have so much. We're so entitled. We're so driven. We're so accomplished. We have too much to have nothing. I wonder sometimes if the Lord doesn't look at us this way. Not to poke fun. Some of you might have been this guy, okay? If you were this guy, it's okay. God bless your generous parents. But I think all of us remember in high school the kid, the 17-year-old guy, with the brand new car or truck. You guys remember this kid? And everyone was like, wow, he must work so hard, right? That's what everyone thought, no. Everyone rolled their eyes. Oh, look, there goes daddy's money, right? And I just, I just can't help but wonder sometimes, 
if, if that's not the way that the Lord might look at us and think, wow, they, they think they've really made it. They think they're so awesome. Don't they recognize I gave them all of this? All of this is a gift. All of this is grace. And so this morning, again, whether we believe in God or not, and I, I've been on both sides of that equation, whether we want to admit it or not, we have received gifts from him, grace from him. And yet there are, there's more that God wants to give that can't be earned, can't be worked for, can't be paid back. And these types of gifts don't just happen. They don't just fall in our lap. There is some participation required. All of us have received general grace, general gifts from God. Sunrises, sunsets, breath in your lungs, the perfect parking spot, right? Strength in your hands, food on the table, the smell of bacon in the morning. A short drive with no commercials on the radio. This is the grace of God, right? And yet God desires to give us something more, the greatest gift the gift of salvation, the gospel. And again, that good news starts with bad news, right? That there is no nice list or naughty list. All of us would be on the naughty list. All have sinned. The Bible says everyone has sinned. If you've broken one law, you've broken all of them. It, it takes one murder to become a murderer. It takes one sin to become a sinner. And you and I don't have to try to name our five or six sins. They are countless, aren't they? The things that we've done that we shouldn't do, the things that we should have did that we didn't do, the things that we have said that we can't believe came out of our mouth. This makes us sinners. I have good news for you. If you feel uncomfortable in church this morning, if you thought the roof was going to fall in when you walked in because you were sinners, it's already been tested. Week after week after week, this room is full of sinners. So you're safe here, okay? But here's the thing. That sin, though all of us have it, it's not to be taken lightly. God takes it seriously because God is perfect. God is holy. God is righteous. He makes no excuse for sin. He doesn't tolerate it. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, a curse entered the world. The walks they had in the garden, those days were over. The thought of life without dispute, without disease, without death, those days were over. God tells us in his word that the wages of sin is death. The cost of sin is death. What sin leads to is death, blood, sacrifice, separation. And so God in his goodness instituted a system for his people to pay for their sin. And so for centuries, there's this sacrificial system year after year after year, animals given different sacrifices given to pay for sin, but it doesn't hold up. It doesn't last because humans keep sinning. And all the parents said, amen. <laughs> Humans keep sinning. And so something had to be done permanently. And it wasn't a backup plan. It was the plan all along. Even the sacrifices were there just to show them their great need of a savior. And so God, the son, Jesus, the word became flesh. The creator stooped to his creation as humbly as you can imagine and Jesus, born of a virgin, lived a perfect, sinless life, chose to be uh, allowed to be turned over to people who would crucify him for sins he did not commit. 
Jesus, sinless, innocent, went to a cross for us because he loved us and we needed it. He went to a cross instead of us because we deserved it. He went to a cross because of us. Our sins had to be dealt with, and he died on that cross. He endured a gruesome death, and he was placed in a borrowed tomb. But the good news and really the turning point of all human history is that he didn't stay dead. On the third day, the stone was rolled away, and he walked out of it alive and well, holes in his hands, but alive and well. And you say, I I just don't know about all that. Outside of the scriptures, all of human history agrees there was a man who lived and taught and performed miracles and was crucified and buried. The question is whether or not you believe the resurrection. Jesus existed and he was crucified. It's, it's, it's fact. It's historical fact. Did he raise again? Is he God? That's the part that's up for debate. And it's not up for debate for me because I read not just in the Bible, but the works of all kinds of other historians. There are these men that were with Jesus, following Jesus, and in his time of need, they scattered and they hid, terrified. But when they saw him again, they were filled with faith. When his Holy Spirit came to them, they were filled with boldness. And they began to preach and proclaim that this Jesus that was crucified is alive and well. And for about 40 days or so, Jesus appeared to over 500 people, and it turned the world upside down, and the gospel spread like wildfire. And when you put these men on the stand and say, you can deny what you're saying about the resurrection or be put to death, Disciple after disciple after disciple said, I can't do anything but testify of what I've seen and heard. He's alive. The tomb is empty. We didn't steal his body. We didn't hide his body. We ate fish with him on the shore. He's real. And they are crucified themselves, pulled apart by horses, thrown off of buildings, burned alive rather than deny that their Jesus was alive. So it's settled for me. Jesus is who he said he was. He did what he said he would do. And the scriptures teach that while Christ has already done those things, he's already died, he's already made payment for our sin, he's already resurrected, we have an opportunity to receive that payment or reject it. We have an opportunity to believe Jesus is who he says he is. We have an opportunity to believe we are sinners in need of a savior. We can believe in our heart that he died for us and rose from the dead. We can believe and confess with our mouths who he is and who we are and what that means. And the Bible says if we do those things, if we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths, then we will be saved. We will be saved. We will be spared. We will be adopted as sons and daughters of God. There's no sin too big. There's no past too dark. If we believe in Jesus and we confess our sin, he is faithful to save and forgive and restore. Some of you don't feel good enough to receive a gift like that, and I just want to tell you this Christmas, that's the point. You're not good enough. It's not a Christmas bonus. It's a gift. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says, God saved you by his grace 
when you believed. You see grace and faith working right there in that verse. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for it. It is, what does it say? It is a gift from God. Salvation's not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. Listen, in this part of the country, every funeral I do, there's conversation about how this person is in heaven and they were a good person. Jesus says the road is narrow and few find it. Your good deeds, your good works aren't enough. You have to trust in the only perfect man that ever lived, the God-man Jesus Christ. God saves by his grace when we believe, when we put our faith on him. So that means we gotta stop trying to earn it, stop trying to prove it. We gotta be honest about our condition. We gotta realize we're hopeless without him. We're needy. We need a savior. I know you'd rather pay for it. I've been to lunch with some of you. We argue with the waitress about who's gonna take the check, right? You'd rather pay. You'd rather not be in debt. That's the point. It's a gift. It's grace. Receive it. You can't pay for it. You can't deserve it. You can't earn it. But you can receive it by faith. And, and listen, to receive a gift, you have to have open arms, open hands, right? Some of us have a hard time receiving the gift of salvation because we're so hurt and wounded by a church or by a Christian or by life. We're so skeptical. We, our arms are crossed. And so God wants to give us this gift, but we have too much anger, too much bitterness, too many questions. How's that working for you? Like when you put your head on the pillow at night, are you happy with that bitterness, with that resentment? Are you, are you content with that? When, when your life comes to an end, is there fear, questions, worry, or is there confidence that you've put your faith in the right place? And you know, that might not be some of us, but I think a lot of us can relate to this. If our arms aren't crossed, they're just full. We, we, we want to receive a gift from God, but man, we have so much going on. We're so busy. You talk to people, how you doing? What's the answer? Busy. So busy. So busy. So stressed. So anxious. Going after it. American dream. Chase the job. Follow the sports schedule. Take the kids to everything. Be at everything. Our arms are so full, we don't even have space to receive the gift. I saw an article this week um, from a few years back about the Charlie Brown Christmas special, um, which is older than many of us. It's been on the air since the 60s. Um, some of you remember the 60s, and very few of you remember the 70s, apparently. It's a weird time. Um, but I saw this article, and it was talking about Linus. Of course, you know Linus had the security blanket. My daughter has a blanket. If it's bedtime and she doesn't have that blanket, we have a problem in our house. Um, but he had this blanket, and he always has the blanket. He's sensible, he's smart, but he has his security blanket with him wherever he goes. Until this moment, on, the, on stage in the Christmas special, Linus is reading about Jesus' birth, and he gets to the line, fear not. And when he says fear not on the Charlie Brown Christmas special, it's subtle, but you'll notice it now. When he gets to the line, fear not, he drops the blanket. Jason Swarovski said in an article for the Gospel Coalition, 
Looking at it now, it's pretty clear what Charles Schultz was saying through this, and it's so simple, it's brilliant. The birth of Jesus separates us from our fears. The birth of Jesus frees us from the habits we're unable or unwilling to break ourselves. The birth of Jesus allows us to simply drop the false security we've been grasping so tightly and learn to trust and cling to him instead. This world can be a scary place and most of us find ourselves grasping to something temporary for security, whatever it might be. We live in a world where it's so difficult to fear not. But in the midst of fear and insecurity, this simple cartoon from 1965 lives on, inspiring us to seek true peace, true security in the one place it has always been and can always still be found. Fear not. Drop the blanket lines. See, to receive a gift, you've got to let go of some other stuff. To receive a gift, you've got to have open arms. And you can receive if you'll do that, if you'll let go. And I just want to remind you, this gift of salvation is so much more than just a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's so much more than just fire insurance. And I'm not minimizing what the gift of salvation means for our eternity. We're going to spend eternity somewhere, but it's not just about what happens when you die, although that is so significant. It's about the here and now. The gift of Christmas is the relationship that you've always needed, the unconditional love that you've always looked for, the hope that you've always been searching for, whether you are aware of it or not. We have a need as humans to be known fully and somehow loved anyway. That's most of our fear, that people are going to find out the real us and not like us anymore. The gift of Christmas and salvation is a relationship with a God who knows you fully, knows the darkest corners of your heart, and yet says, I'll send my son anyway. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Let me say it this way in conclusion. The gift is the giver. What's the Christmas gift? It's the giver. God himself, Jesus himself gave himself. If you could imagine this morning a, a, a perfect family, husband, wife, great neighborhood, great job, great kids. The dad works hard, he, he buys the kids nice things, buys the wife nice things. Some of you are like, where do I find this man, right? But he, he, he takes care of everything. He works hard. They go on good vacations. They have a nice car. They have a nice home. Everything is going great. And then one day, there's a tragic accident, and he's gone. Can you imagine if you ask the family, how, how are you doing? Six months later, how are you doing? Can you imagine if they said, Oh, we're, we're great. We're fine. We still have the house. We still have the vacation. We still have all the toys. We have all the stuff he gave. We're perfectly fine. Wouldn't that be absurd? <laughs> Wouldn't that be crazy? Of course, yeah, the gifts are fine. They, they're not the point. What they want, what they miss is him. And, and, and that's the kind of love that we can have for God, that he wants us to have for him when we realize the gift is himself. The gift is the, gift is the giver. This is how we are to desire him and pursue him. And you know what's amazing? You know what he asks from us in return? Us. 
Jesus gave us him. And what he wants from you is you. The greatest gift ever given was the giver. Listen to the prophecy, Isaiah 9. A child has been born for us. We have been, say it with me, given a son who will be our ruler. His name, wonderful advisor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. You might be more familiar with this. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish, but have eternal life. I hope that my son loves Jesus and that he raises kids who love Jesus. I hope four or five generations from now there are people serving Jesus, but I didn't grow up in church. I, I didn't go to church on Christmas most of the time. And so I know what it is to be lost. I know what it is to be far from God. I know what it is to be hopeless. And I know what it is to find Christ and for him to find me. And it's so worth it. Some of you think you're gonna lose something. It's gonna be a bad exchange. It's the best trade-off you could ever make. Jesus told us in Matthew 7, look, you guys are sinners, you're humans. None of you promise your kids breakfast and then give them a scorpion, right? Similarly, if you know how to give good gifts to your kids, and I know we got a lot of great parents in this room who can't wait for Christmas. If you know how to good, give, give good gifts, how much more does the father know to give gifts to his children when they ask. This morning, if you'd bow your heads for a moment with me, this morning, if you believe the gospel and you ask God for the gift of salvation, he will give it to you. If you ask him to forgive you, he will forgive. If you ask him to cleanse you, he will. If you ask him to show up in your life, he will. If you ask him for wisdom, he'll give it to you. If you ask him for help, he'll give it to you. If you ask him to help you forgive, he'll help you. It might be a process, but he'll help you. He is our very present help in time of need. And all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This morning, Heads bowed, eyes closed. This morning I have this question. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ? Have you trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin, for the salvation of your soul? If you're here this morning, in a moment we're going to pray a prayer. But before we do that, I want to know who's in the room. So with nobody looking, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus and you need to receive the gift of salvation today, maybe you've never known him, maybe you've wandered from him, if that's you this morning, would you just lift up your hand really quickly long enough for me to see it and put it right back down? Is there anybody here this morning you need to put your faith in Christ? We had three or four at the nine o'clock this morning put their faith in Jesus. You're not alone. We're rooting for you. We're praying for you. We've prayed for this moment. If you're wandering from him, if you don't know him, if that's you really quickly, would you just raise your hand, put it right back down? Thank you, young man. Is there anyone else? save my friends would you save my friends you can open your eyes for a moment before we pray I want to I want to end with one passage of scripture um, again it's Christmas and the gift is for you look at look at this last passage here first Peter chapter 2 I found it interesting that these words are used he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree 
that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. He took our sins in his body on the tree. This morning, there are gifts under the tree of the cross of Jesus Christ, and they are for you. If you don't know him, you can. And if you're struggling with anything else in life, the answer is still the gospel of grace of Jesus Christ. So again, would you close your eyes while we pray? And I'm gonna invite you to pray and repeat after me. If you are raising your hand for salvation or you're already a Christian, I'm gonna invite you to pray and repeat after me as well. Pray with me. Jesus, I believe in you. I put my trust in you that you are who you say you are, that you lived a perfect life, that you died on the cross for me, that you rose again. Come into my life, cleanse me, forgive me, make me new. Be my Lord and be my King all the days of my life. I trust in you, save me Jesus, in your name. Amen and amen. Can we give a hand to those who put their trust? We hope you enjoyed today's message. For questions, prayer requests, and more information, please visit us on the web at blufffirst.com.